This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Thanks so much indeed for downloading. These are the best bits from Friday, the 1st of December. Official opening of COP28 and therefore, of course, big focus on all things sustainability. We looked at it from a number of different angles, including office space. Offices with higher lead ratings are commanding higher rents. That's according to the latest report from the CBRE. We were joined by Ty McCann, the Associate Director and Head of Research at CBRE to discuss this in more detail. Jonathan Emery is the CEO of Aldar Development. Uh, They chose the business breakfast to make a new announcement, a new acquisition, as Aldar spread their wings even further into the UK market. Martin Lundstedt is the president and the CEO of the Volvo Group. Obviously, COP28 attracting some of the biggest names and biggest brands in the world. Uh, Companies including Nestle, Unilever, Mahindra Group and, of course, Volvo Cars urging political leaders to agree to a timeline to phase out fossil fuels. They're doing that at COP28, and we, in fact, we were joined by the president and the CEO of Volvo, who joined us live on the show. COP28, uh, with good reason, was, of course, the big headline grabber. Uh, Serena Kelly was giving us all the updates as to how to get to COP28, uh, what was going on there, and some of the key uh, decision makers that were appearing on the opening day. Uh, Plus, OPEC meeting uh, taking place elsewhere in the world, and that had a knock-on effect with a number of the conversations here. In fact, we reached out to the team from ENBD for more analysis on that. That's all right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast Podcast. I know that the news team this morning are generating their own energy uh, running around. Just little treadmills under your desk, Serena. Well, like, Power the building. Like a hamster. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about COP first so yes. that you are, are free to go on and generate the news. Thank you. Um, OK, so first day of COP28 and we saw history being made yesterday. It was the first time a decision has been adopted on day one of any COP or Conference of Parties. So countries at the Climate Summit formally approved a deal on a new Climate Disaster Fund or loss and damage. So the deal was adopted following the COP28 opening ceremony. And this is the moment His Excellency COP28 President Dr. Sultan al-Jaba made that announcement. Hearing no objections, it is so decided. So over 420 million US dollars was pledged within an hour of the decision. Uh, The UAE committed 100 million um, and you also had other nations pledging as well. Germany, the UK, Japan, the US. So the fund is going to help vulnerable nations cope with the cost of climate driven damage brought on by things like drought, floods and rising seas. You had reactions from Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, saying, I welcome the decision taken at the opening of COP28 to operationalise the new loss and damage fund, an essential tool for delivering climate justice. I call on leaders to make generous contributions and get the fund and the climate conference started on a strong footing. So along with that, I thought that I could give you a few highlights from day one uh, before they began they marked a moment of silence. Please stand for a moment of silence in memory of Pete and Samuel Haq, as well as all civilians who have perished during the current conflict in Gaza. So the 
people he was referring to was a scientist and also someone, a delegate from previous COPs um, who both had quite an impact in regards to conference of parties. Here was the moment Egypt COP27 President Sameh Shakuri handed over the presidency to the UAE's Dr. Sultan Al-Jaba, the formal passing of the gavel. I declare His Excellency Dr. Sultan Ahmed al-Jaber elected president of the 28th session of the Conference of the Parties. Now, His Excellency Dr. Sultan al-Jaber's top remarks during the session covered that the science has spoken. It's time for high ambition and a global stock take decision and that the fossil fuel industry needs to be part of the conversation. It is essential that no issue is left off the table. And yes, as I have been saying, we must look for ways and ensure the inclusion of the role of fossil fuels. You also had the UNFCCC, that is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, the Executive Secretary, Simon Steele, make an address. He also spoke about the science and the urgency for action. We must teach climate action to run because this has been the hottest year ever in humanity. So many terrible records were broken and we are paying the price with people's lives and livelihoods. We're standing at a precipice facing the global stock take. He also quoted from one of the wisest and most respected characters in a franchise this world knows. The UNFCCC has reformed the badging system. Every participant at this COP is already publicly listed. The whole world knows who's here. They will hold us to account on what we do or do not do. As Yoda would say, do or do not, there is no try. He also laid out the stages that are, we face after COP28, as in the next two years. In 2024, countries will submit their first biennial transparency report. This will mean the reality of individual progress can't be concealed. We will also see at COP29 how to finance this massive shift with the new finance goal. And let this be your first official notice that early in 2025, countries must deliver new nationally determined contributions. Please start working on them now. This takes us to COP30, where every single commitment on finance, adaptation, and mitigation has to be in line with a 1.5 degree world. Now, day two of the summit today, there are many events, but some of the ones to note, the opening session starts at 11.45 this morning. This is possibly where King Charles III will be making his address. A special event's happening at 2 p.m. That is the signing of an agreement, Green Energy, Fuel Bunkering and Energy Transition. We'll find out more about that this afternoon. And then the COP28 Presidency Press Conference. These will be held every day and today's will begin at 5 p.m. And in a world first, the Faith 
Pavilion will start activities today, marking the first time in the history of the conferences of the parties that a dedicated space has been created for interfaith dialogue and action on climate change. All right, Serena, we have had a message in from Shabir who says, is COP28 interesting for families? What can I expect to see and learn? Oh, most definitely. Uh, But in order to be able to attend, I would recommend that you need to register through the COP website for your uh, pass to access the green zone. Those are free. Uh, But yeah, there's definitely... Also, don't forget, there will be food and beverage available on site as well. But yes, um, I would highly recommend... It is extremely educational and I'm lucky enough that I won't need to take my son because he'll be going with his school later on next week. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a moment in time, uh, something you definitely need to attend. Right. Uh, a little bit of reminder, please, though, if you are attending. I mean, Georgia basically said this morning, take the metro, take the metro, take the metro, didn't she? Um, and she says that if you are coming before, what did she say to me? She's been looking into it. Bless her for us on the business breakfast. Um, she said you can only enter before 9am through the Blue Zone entrance next to the, the metro station. And the exhibition anyway. centre, yeah, okay. Well, what do we know about the roads? All right, so it's now after nine. You've got a couple of more hours to go of this traffic diversion that's in place on Shakeside Road. So it's for three days. It was starting today. It's coinciding with COP28 and the UAE's Union Day celebrations that are happening tomorrow. So Abu Dhabi bound stretch of Shakeside Road. Uh, it's The closures start from 7 a.m., You have until 11 a.m. That is when they finish. Started today. It is also in place for Saturday and Sunday as well. So this is from the Trade Centre roundabout to the Expo intersection. And it is only Abu Dhabi bound. Now, speaking to the agenda, Bada Al-Suri, the executive director of the traffic department for the RTA, talked through the alternative routes available. We have a plan to divert uh, the traffic from Sheikh Zayed Road to other roads, such as Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Road, Al-Khail Road, Al-Wasr Road, and Jumeirah Road. So we have several uh, alternative uh, routes for uh, people to use, as well as the public transport. And if you need any imagery or some other suggestions in regards to those alternative routes, there is something up on the Air and News Centre Instagram, but also our website, and you can download the app as well. Serena Kelly, thank you very much. More details on the Air and News Centre app. Well, on the energy front, we've also just had an OPEC Plus meeting, plus we've got new petrol prices here in the UAE. Katija Hack is the Chief Economist at Emirates NBD. We asked her to put the multitudes of uh, cuts coming out in different varieties from the OPEC Plus meeting in context for us. The market is still trying to digest what was announced by OPEC Plus yesterday, but it looks as if there will be around 900,000 barrels per day of additional voluntary cuts from January 2024, and Saudi Arabia will extend its own production cuts of 1 million barrels per day into next year as well. There was no press conference after the meeting, and each member country has announced or will announce its own quotas for 2024, which means compliance with those targets might be an issue. Angola has already said it will produce more than its target of 1.1 million barrels per day, for example. The additional production cuts are needed to keep the oil market from moving into surplus in the first half of 2024 because of weaker expected demand, which would put downward pressure on the oil price in the first half of next year. However, there is clearly concern about compliance because oil prices actually declined after the OPEC Plus meeting and Brent is currently trading just above $80 per barrel. Right, what about the petrol prices? Down around 2.5% this morning. 
Oil prices feed directly into petrol prices at the pump in the UAE, with some adjustments for refining costs. This has been a big driver of official CPI in the UAE over the last two years, with a spike in petrol prices in the summer last year and a decline this year. We've also seen petrol prices fall in November and now December, which will help to offset higher housing and other costs in the CPI and keep headline inflation relatively low. We expect inflation in Dubai to average around 3.5% this year. Khadija Hack, Emirates MBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Where, as the business breakfast, we are looking at the business end of COP. Volvo has tied up with a number of other multinationals, more than 200 of them, uh, including IKEA and Unilever, as part of the We Mean Business Coalition. Uh, They are pushing governments um, to work harder and faster on their fossil fuel phase-out timetable here at COP28. Very pleased to be joined on the line this morning by Martin Lundstedt. He is the president and CEO, the global president and CEO of Volvo Group. Martin, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, great to be together with you. So we've got this big open letter, this push from the We Mean Business Coalition to global leaders. What do you want to see them do? Yeah, but first and foremost, in order to get to our uh, joint targets of uh, uh, carbon neutrality at the latest by 2050, we need to uh, move in uh, all different parts of the value chains uh, together. And, and that is what we are uh, calling for. If we look into our sector of uh, commercial vehicles and uh, heavy transportation, we have already equipment available to to do this journey. But in addition, we need to have a charging infrastructure. We need to have a green energy available at the scale needed. Uh, We need to continue to work on uh, carbon pricing, for example, to make the TCU the total cost of ownership uh, on, on parity. And those are the factors that we need to cooperate between the corporate sector and, and governments and, and regulators in a smart way uh, to, to accelerate because uh, uh, it, it's close to 2030, to 2040 and to 2050. Uh, we've got some really big names here. Why is the onus on the private sector here to say to governments, to the public sector, to world leaders. Come on, hurry up. Yeah, but first and foremost, that we are, uh, that, that we have uh, very strong commitment uh, to our uh, customers, uh, to our owners, uh, to our colleagues that uh, uh, we should participate in in a very urgent situation of decarbonizing the world and, and to fight climate change. And uh, that can only be done together. together. And I think that uh, the corporate sector, once uh, they have really you know, get uh, uh, the target set uh, are also very important to make it happen. We see, for example, with the science-based target initiatives, uh, almost 7,000 companies around the globe have set public targets uh, to 2030 and beyond. uh, And to make that happen again, uh, collaboration is needed. We have very tangible solutions, but again, it requires a very, very strong uh, collaboration and demand-driven also, not only uh, regulatory-driven, and and then we can do a lot together. Can you give me, speaking of tangible, some examples of how a company such as yours, with your own net-zero goals, is dependent on the the governments and the infrastructure of the countries in which you work to hit your own goals? But first and foremost, as I said, uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, both challenges but uh, but opportunities for the Volvo Group as uh, as provider of uh, 
commercial vehicles and, uh, and construction equipment is really to uh, to get going on the scope three uh, downstream emissions that is products in use uh, at our customers uh, today we are scaling up our battery electric uh, equipment uh, heavy equipment uh, we are also uh, in the verge of uh, of introducing in a couple of years uh, fuel cell electric uh, and hydrogen uh, hydrogen based solutions but those equipment requires also infrastructure around them to work, as I said, in terms of charging, in terms of grid capacity, in terms of green generation of energy, uh, and in terms of uh, uh, pricing that matters to, to uh, uh, to, 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 to really penalize what makes harm and to incentivize what is good for the future. And in all these different uh, uh, aspects, it requires a strong uh, collaborate, uh, collaboration in society. We have jointly to move from a, from a brown fossil-based platform into a green a renewable platform together. And uh, we have equipment available, we want to scale it, and, and then we need this equ equation to be uh, uh, with all the other parameters as well. You mentioned there the impact of pricing to punish or to incentivise um, change. What would you want to see there? What do you think should happen to the pricing of fossil fuels? I think the most, uh, the best element of that is obviously a long-term solution uh, that incorporates uh, um, a, a, a price. Uh, I mean, if I could dream, <laughs> uh, it should be a global price of carbon. Uh, that will be difficult to achieve. Uh, but uh, but it is important to get to a point where where carbon is actually having a cost because otherwise nature. Uh, biodiversity and, and, and uh, the climate is paying uh, because it's a free asset that is harming the planet when it comes to the to the joint assets that we have. Uh, if we set the, a price on that, uh, that will actually be a very, very important mechanism also to uh, to, to actually uh, uh, level the play field with uh, renewable uh, energy solutions and thereby further accelerating the uh, the the take rates of uh, renewable and long-term sustainable solutions. Do carbon credit trading, carbon offset trading, um, take care of part of that, or do they not go far enough or in the right direction? They they take care of uh, it partly, but but I mean that is just the mitigation solutions, obviously, because at the end of the day, you cannot buy yourself free. Uh, that is, I mean, a solution now to, to actually make uh, things to, to get started. In the long run, uh, we need to take out carbon from the equation. Uh, and, and we need to make sure that we are not adding more carbon and other emissions into the atmosphere. That is the simple uh, thing. I mean, if we just say that everyone can trade everything instead of doing the real deal, uh, we will not get there. And this is an existential question for us, for the planet and for coming generations. And we have a responsibility to hand over this. And, and therefore, we need to act with real actions. So, so the, the real deal is ma to make sure that we are actually decarbonizing sector by sector. Uh, and you mentioned one of the key initiatives that we are participating in. Another one is the first moving coalition um, that is also companies coming together to drive demand on decarbonized solution because we often talk about supply, but we also need to talk about demand of hardware-based sectors like steel, like aluminium, uh, like trucking, like aviation, like shipping, uh, 
but also like um, uh, carbon capture, if that can be something. We need to decarbonize the world. That is what uh, it's all about. And thank you very much for joining us this morning. Martin Lundstedt is the president and CEO of the Volvo Group, speaking to us about the calls from the private sector um, for governments around the world to double down on their efforts to phase out fossil fuels. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We have this morning um, a bit of an announcement. That announcement's not mine. That announcement is Aldar's. They've made an acquisition and they are breaking that story here live on the Business Breakfast. I am joined on the line by Jonathan Emery. He is the CEO of Aldar Development. Jonathan, it's nice to speak to you. Good morning. Good morning, Brandy. I don't want to steal your thunder. Tell me what you've bought. Oh, um, we are really excited to be able to reveal uh, this morning that we have acquired uh, a UK uh, residential developer uh, focused on London, uh, London Square. So we have uh, we've spent about a billion dirhams in acquiring 100% of what is a uh, an awesome uh, London residential developer, um, and we're going to be working together with the strong leadership team there uh, to really um, accelerate the growth and build on uh, their their amazing reputation and their strong customer loyalty and uh, create a new exciting pathway between two great uh, uh, cities, UAE and London, one that's already well trodden and uh, anchor it at either end with some great product um, underpinned by, you know, all the things that Aldar do and now London Square as well. Why have you done that? We have had a stated uh, strategic ambition to grow beyond Abu Dhabi. Um, last year, we secured uh, a majority interest in Sodic in Egypt, and then more recently, we uh, we announced uh, development in Dubai. And then, actually, this weekend, we're going to be starting in Rasul Khaimah. So we are we're growing. Um, we've been looking for international investment opportunity outside of the MENA region, and uh, London, UK is a very strong trading partner, particularly for our global customers, the Aldar worldwide customer base. Many are uh, residing in the UK and there's, as we know, there's flows both ways. So it provides a great sort of uh, counterbalance to to Mina, um, great sort of risk adjusted and strong uh, customer fundamentals. What will you actually do together? Will we see Aldar branded developments or co-branded developments in the UK? Well, I think first thing to say that, you know, similar to our acquisition of Sodic, we, we're investing in a, in a management team, a very capable team with a strong reputation in uh, London Square have been trading, you know, profitably for uh, 13 years in, in London. They have a strong base, over three and a half thousand residential units already uh, handed over to customers, so we're we're investing in that team. But um, you know, as you've alluded, we're we're not a passive investor, and we're looking for that 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 combination of you know what Aldar do so well and our experiences and our and our uh, broad customer base, which has actually grown like three hundred percent in the last year, um, and we're looking to sort of work together to to create uh, you know amazing synergies but also, um, you know, value add. So we will be, uh, you know, formally uh, sitting uh, with them on the board, but working on the sales, on production, on supply chain, um, in all aspects of the business to try and, you know, 
help help uh, improve uh, our product, Aldar product, and London Square. Now, we we will be maintaining London Square as as the London brand. Uh, it is it is well uh, known and respected in the market. Um, and uh, similarly, uh, Aldar here. So at the moment, uh, the plan is to retain independence, but you know, supported uh, uh, by both. Okay, but they are obviously building properties. So will we see more projects that are effectively your projects through them? We will definitely see more projects. Uh, our ambition uh, aligned with them is to grow um, in the London region. We will be um, certainly uh, providing uh, advice on, you know, the 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 large number of UAE customers uh, moving into London as to you know the type of product and experiences and locations that they have preferences for. So there'll be some product alignment, building on on shared experiences and uh, and sort of geographical positioning within London as well. I'm sure will shift um, slightly. To, to identify our you know our global customers and, and what they're looking for in you know in the great city of London so there will be some adjustments towards customer and that's what I want to to pick up on because um, London Square develops an awful lot of affordable property will we see higher end projects coming from them you were alluding to your customer base already are you then expecting to also sorry two questions and one sell that to your UAE customers yeah, so um, London Square actually originated at, should we just call it the higher end, and has as it, as it has grown, it's sort of diversified into different living uh, living products, and that's one of the reasons why we're interested. So it does it does build to rent, you know, um, it does um, uh, affordable as you mentioned, um, and um, and also um, has done some student as well as its primary activity, which is for sale. So we we quite like that diversity. Um, and we'll maintain that. We we will be building a little bit more, I think, on focusing on the for sale, and we will uh, again diversify that. Currently, it's working, you know, in uh, you know, in I say, uh, outer London, outer central London, um, and we'll be sort of bringing forward some sort of more central London products, which we know some of our customer customer base are looking for uh, in 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 London. So we will we will be looking for you know building a tier one product in addition to what they already do. And when you say you're going to sell that to your existing customer base, can you be a bit more specific, Jonathan? Yeah, I think uh, what we've found is, you know, uh, we, we Aldo has, is a trusted brand uh, for, for many repeat customers, as is London Square. Um, I think we, we're looking to provide, you know, uh, a new sort of investment pathway, like a superhighway between UAE and London. It's already, you know, the, the trade between those two cities is amazing on on residential uh, uh, real estate product. And we're looking to ease that path. So uh, less friction in the transaction, uh, more sort of coordinated investment advice. Uh, earlier access to new opportunities and experiences both in London and UAE. So we will be offering uh, you know, a whole suite of advantages for customers that will sort of ease, ease their uh, transactions either from London into the UAE or UAE into London. So it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a new sort of pathway to, to uh, better product. Okay, we've got about 30 seconds left with you. Um, will investors and buyers here get early access to that 
property then? Will they get sort of preferred access? Yes. No, we'll be co-joining sort of the, the customer databases um, wherever possible, obviously, by invitation. Um, so there'll be sort of the usual VIP um, opportunity. And obviously the broker network similarly will be co-joined and, and we'll be offering, you know, as we do, um, special sort of status to, to those brokers who we work with. Um, so yes, customers will see a more joined up opportunity to get early access to, to launches in London now. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us about this this morning. And thank you for speaking to us about this first, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Jonathan Emery is the CEO of Aldar Development. They have just spent around a billion dirhams buying a UK property developer called London Square. They're going to keep the branding of London Square. Um, but effectively, Aldar is getting into the UK, the London property game. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The business side of COP is what we are looking at this morning. There's a new report out from CBRE. Uh, they say that sustainable offices here in the UAE are able to ask for up to a third more rent. Very pleased to be speaking to their head of research this morning, Tamer Khan. Good morning, Tamer. Good morning, Brandy. So we're talking about offices here that have lead ratings. Is it the sustainability factor that allows them to ask for more money? Or is it just that they happen to be newer and better? Um, They do happen to be newer and better uh, in a number of cases. But even when you look at sort of the prime areas, uh, the likes of DIFC and so on, we do find that actually... uh, rated buildings within uh, these developments uh, do actually command higher rents. Um, We've also done surveys as well, and 50% of uh, our clients say that they would actually be willing to pay more for uh, lead-rated, sustainably accredited uh, offices. But importantly, actually 30% of our clients say that they would look for a discount if they're not. Oh, okay. 30% discount not. Why is that, Tamer? Is it because uh, a lot of companies will have their own ESG boxes that they need to tick? Or is it that there are cost savings with those buildings? What's the rationale? I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, the the first of all, you know, the, the simple look, we, we require to have this on a, as a global standard uh, will be key. And occasionally you can't get it. And then you have to sort of look at sort of mitigations around that. And what, one of that will be sort of reduction in cost. But um, from where we have seen uh, these uh, rated buildings, we do know that their operational costs uh, are lower as well, which, uh, which, which is a, a big... Uh, uh, factor for a number of firms, particularly sort of in a in the current climate where costs are under review. Right. You've alluded there to my big question of the morning. It's all very well being willing to pay more rent for a top-end lead certified building. But you and I have had a lot of discussions over the last six months about lack of office space in general. Can people find one? Um, it is tricky it's not impossible um i think uh you know uh, uh, if we look at the occupancy rate within these lead uh, rated buildings both in abu dhabi and dubai it's about six percent higher than the average market and you know uh, no, uh so uh, within uh, abu dhabi we're about 96 percent occupied for lead rated buildings uh within dubai it's, it's about the same number as well 96.2 percent so it's tricky but it's not impossible but the thing that we are seeing is um Existing developments, which were historically not lead accredited, we're starting to see some redevelopment happening within the market to bring on additional stock. But uh, the other thing that we found quite interesting when we were looking at it is occupiers within their own floor, within a non-lead rated building, were actually 
get into fit out standards which were lead rated uh and we do have examples uh of this where uh occupiers are going in and having to do them themselves what how easy is it and i mean time hassle uh, possibility and cost to retrofit um, it does. It does require. It's. It's not necessarily easy because uh, the easiest way to do it would be to have a vacant building and then re- retrofit. You know, uh, a number of the operational elements, uh, and that that would be the quickest way of doing it. But of course, that comes at a cost of uh, having uh, having a vacant building. So, um, and it can take a while. It depends on the current. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, condition of your of your asset, but it can take a while. So I, I think in a number of cases, what we will see is a staggered uh, approach to this. So what does the pipeline for new LEED certified office space look like? In general, the pipeline for office space is is limited anyway. Uh, we're somewhere uh, around sort of 200,000 uh, square meters of office space coming up in the next few years. Um, most of which is is certified um uh first of all uh with the various different uh, accreditation systems that we have in the uae uh, new developments do have to reach a certain standard and most uh, uh landlords are effectively realizing that they do have to certify and we we, we, we the other interesting thing that we saw was in dubai for example around 70 percent of the uh, certifications have come since 2020. So I think this is going to sort of, you know, uh, we, we're going to see that number increase very, very rapidly over the next uh, few years. Which is an important point you've made there. We had regulation come in quite a while ago um, about the sustainability and environmental goals that, that new buildings needed to hit. Is this just going to become eventually the norm? Certainly. Um, I, I don't think there is any way around this now. Um, I think going ahead, your, uh, your, your building has to be uh, legally, has to be uh, certified under the uh, either Esadama or Elsafat. Uh, uh, programs, but then I think you know we'll see landlords going the extra extra mile and getting lead or bream certification. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Speaking to the head of research, Tamer Khan from CBRE, uh, they've just issued a new report suggesting that sustainable offices, so those that have lead certifications, are able to get up to a third more rent. But as Tamer said, there we are looking at about ninety six percent occupancy odd in both upper. Um, and in Dubai when it comes to those buildings, about 6% higher in terms of occupancy rates than in their non-certified counterparts. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.